0: I want to tell you a moment before I begin about my friend Jim. Jim is my friend from the church that I pastored in St. Louis. We've continued in an ongoing friendship. We call and talk to one another. It's a very honest conversation that we have. It's a little unusual for church members and ministers to be equally honest. Can I just say that? To be completely disclosing about what we think and what we believe, and about the questions. Jim has lost two wives. He lost a daughter, and he's got another daughter in hospice. I don't know what to tell him. He asked me his questions. He's a devout, Christ-loving Christian. He is someone that I look to as an exemplar in faith. And when we talk about his life and his prayers, it's very, very difficult to sustain the reality of that. What I love about what we've been doing um, in worship is the embracing of questions. The book of James raises questions for us, and what we learn about becoming uh, a more mature Christian believer, Aaron, this is sort of what you're talking about, a different ways to pray, that our faith would grow to the point that we're able to raise the right questions. We get this from our Jewish uh, heritage, the idea of questions. The questions are very quintessential uh, Hebrew in thought. And the worship of God is about questions at least as much as it is about answers. That's not always been the case. My dad grew up in uh, very fundamentalist East Texas, and as a teenager, he began to raise questions with the minister. And the minister essentially told him to put a lid on it, quit asking questions. And that was pretty much the end of his church-going days. He just, you know, he, he lived with questions. We reserve our questions for ourselves and for our best friends, our most intimate friends that we can talk plainly with, we hold our questions also for worship because when we come into this place to worship, we come into a place where we can raise the right questions. There are questions in this last draw from James, this piece of scripture that I'm about to raise. I spoke a little bit about them in my my e-blast message, not a sermon, just a thought. And the questions will carry over from this Sunday. There's a nice little bridge from this Sunday to next month as we move to the book of Job. We will have four Sundays on the book of Job. Melissa is our leadoff hitter. She will introduce uh, Job to us. We'll begin to grapple with some of the things in his life. So today is a a crossover on the issue of questions. Let's read the passage from James chapter 5. Are you hurting? Pray. Do you feel great? Sing. Are you sick? Call the church leaders together to pray and anoint you with oil in the name of the Master. Believing prayer will heal you, and Jesus will put you on your your feet. And if you've sinned, you'll be forgiven, healed inside and out. Make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. The prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful to be reckoned with. Elijah, for instance, from our Hebrew scripture, human just like us, prayed hard that it wouldn't rain and it didn't, not a drop for three and a half years. Then he prayed that it would rain, and it did. The showers came, and everything started growing again. My dear friends, if you know people who have wandered off from God's truth, don't write them off. Go get them and bring them back. And you will have rescued precious lives from destruction and prevented an epidemic of wandering away from God. Well, I've only been with you uh, a month of Sundays now, but did you know, did you know that First Baptist Church has been holding healing services recently? Did you know that? It's quite true. I assure you it is true. I make it sound as if it's been something that's just gotten started, and maybe that explains why you haven't heard of it. To be honest, I think we've been having healing services here since our very beginning in 1837, the year of our founding on the shores of the Missouri River. And you haven't heard about the healing services that we hold? It's interesting how it works in our worship services like this and the next one to come, in our Bible study groups, on our e blast in our deacons meeting, staff meetings, We gather up all the collective hurts and everything else we carry around us in order that we might share them with one another. We pray for the healing of those who are sick. We pray for great big concerns. And we pray for little concerns as well, little, you know, not much concerns. We share them all. We give thanks to God for the joys that we are enjoying. And we give thanks for the struggles that we bear together. Members of our church pray in our community, and they bounce around on the internet some. Email, it goes back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, and we keep one another informed of what prayers exist in our church. But it's not exactly what you think it might be. In fact, if you were to wander in off the street, I think your first impression would be just how ordinary it is here, how normal you all look how extraordinarily normal that we are. It would seem to someone walking in that it, it seems safe to be here. People would say you look really quite normal as you're praying for healing. You might find yourself relaxing from that tense feeling that you get about being in the middle of a group of religious nuts. I've been with them too. I know exactly what you're thinking about. What we're doing is as ancient as the first-century church who faithfully gathered together on the first day. They would come together. They, from whatever they were doing, they would gather. And so what about this prayer business? What on, what on earth is going on? I think that we could say safely that we and generations behind us all the way back up the stream have been engaging in an experiment in prayer. I call it an experiment because, um, what is it, like a box of chocolates? You never know what you're going to get. We gather together to pray. We really don't fully understand how prayer works or doesn't work. We are left with our questions. And so I think of it as a grand experiment, a laboratory of prayer. We center our thoughts on how needs are met by God's listening ear, and occasionally we sense a hint of God's abiding presence. I've seen it, haven't you? Some dire need that we all come together for, some emergency need, some crisis of soul or a body. We come together and pray, and something happens. I think in those moments we're gathering at a place where our lips are drawn to God's ear. I can't explain it, and that's why I call it an ongoing experiment in prayer, because it's something we do in hopes of connecting with God, hoping we'll witness something only God could have done. That's essentially what we do in prayer. We ask God to jump into the middle of things. We ask God to intervene with us. Well, it doesn't take long, and I wrote about this this week. It doesn't take long to realize it doesn't always work, does it? I don't know if we don't have a direct line to God in prayer. Maybe we do. Maybe we don't. Too many of us have struggled with the fact that we prayed for those who are deathly sick. We prayed with all of our hearts and wishes, and yet they go on to die like Jim's wife despite the church's earnest prayers. Maybe the formula for healing and prayer goes something like this. When I am sick, I can pray for healing. Prayer can heal, but sometimes I am not healed. What do we do with that? As followers of Christ, what do we do with Christ in the garden, praying his prayers, and yet he was carried off uh, arrested. Well, what happens when we pray? James brings it up here, but he's not the first. Jesus has some things to say about prayer. Paul has some things to, to say about prayer. All of the old heroes of the faith in the Hebrew scripture, they have some things to say about prayer as well. And the answer to that question is a delicate one because you border on what you know and what you don't know. I don't know how to answer my friend Jim. I yet to really have an answer for him. I I fully don't understand all of that. And we must understand that this word from James is not a systematic teaching on the entire subject of prayer for the sick for all time. This is just a fragment of what could and maybe should be taught about prayer. We can argue over the nuances of the subject until we are breathless and blue in the face. Ultimately, we must confess we stand at the edge of a vast sea of great mystery. How does it feel to you as a follower of Christ to know that we live in the midst of mysteries of faith? I think we like certainties a lot, and I don't know how well we appreciate the mysteries. It is in the mysteries, though, that we grow. I can't really explain that either, but it is true. What does it mean to intercede on behalf of those who are sick, asking God to heal them and answer our prayers? Maybe an illustration will help. This comes from James, uh, John Claypool, so it's got some years on it, but Claypool is one of our Baptist's best in, in these kinds of things. He tells a story about a minister in England who once got word one evening that his closest friend in the ministry was critically ill and not expected to, to uh, live through the night. And upon receiving this word, this minister withdrew into his study and there fell on his knees and he began to beg and plead and intercede with God that this man's life might be spared. He acknowledged his ties of affection. He explained to God why this was so important to him, and the sense of promise that he felt for the future of his ministry should he be allowed to continue forward. He did the very thing our scripture lesson from the book of James admonishes a Christian to do. Exactly what James suggests doing. And as he did this from somewhere inside of his his silent thoughts, this question came forward. Just how serious are you about this colleague's life being spared? Would you be willing to relinquish half the years you have left so that they might be added to his, his lifespan? Would you give him half of your years left? That question was so unexpected, so startling to him, and penetrating that he got up off of his knees And he sat down in a chair, and he literally broke out into a sweat. Because, here's the way it works, uh, he had always thought of intercession as something that God did. That there was nothing that he should do. I often think about, when we pray, that we think of prayer as an invitation to action. I think that's a fair assessment of what prayer is about. How does it move us to intercede? How does it move us to be involved? Not just the piety of the praying, but the activity of the praying. It might be like a rich man uh, going and begging someone of enormous wealth in a certain way, not thinking about all, about having to get involved with his own money. Suddenly, the process of intersection, intercession took on an entirely new dimension— Did it involve something on his part? He began to ponder that in his heart. What will this cause uh, for me? What will I need to do? And he began to think about his own life and his own family and ministry and the things he wanted to do and the time left for him to do all of these things. And for a long time, he sat there with each of these possibilities over against the other and pondered their relative value. He began to weigh his life and his ministry with his friend. And then with a clear resolve, he slipped back onto his knees and said quietly, Yes, I have considered the matter and the prolongation of my friend's life is so precious to me, I hereby relinquish half of the years that I have remaining to me in his behalf. He reported that he got up off of his knees, not knowing what would be the result of these words, and his friend did survive. This story can become a turning point in our understanding of the nature of intercessory prayer, the prayer that we pray for someone else, for God to intercede. And a theological issue lies at the heart of the story, namely that if God is in fact all-wise and all-loving, how could my praying... Little old me, how could my praying do something with the awesome, all-powerful God? Obviously, an all-wise God would not need to be informed. God already knows. I think about that often. We present things as if it's news to God, when in fact it is not. An all-loving God would not need to be prodded or cajoled into loving. God already loves. God is all in with love. If one of your children got sick in the middle of the night, most would find it unthinkable that the brother or sister of the sick would have to implore you as a parent to care for that sick child. Oh, all right. If you insist, since you ask me, I will do it, but otherwise I would not have. That's the silliness of some of our praying. The insight about Intercessory prayer is that we human beings have a pool of spiritual energy. This is this is a good good place for us to land. We have a pool of spiritual energy that we can draw upon, that we can share freely with one another, that we can offer up to God, that we can offer up to the community. It's just as real as our physical, our intellectual, our emotional, and our economic resources. In effect, we have the power that comes in the form of courage and hope and endurance. Could it be that our prayers are a form of a redistribution of this spiritual power? I intercede on your behalf with what I have in reserve, because what you have may not be enough, and I step in with you, and together we form enough. Those who have the spiritual resources in abundance are called to share with others what they have in reserve for those who are lacking in reserves of their own. Look upon it, if you will, as a transfusion of spiritual power, spiritual energy, much like the gift of life that comes from the donation of blood, the gift of living organs for those who would suffer or perish without The distinction that becomes essential here is knowing the difference between prayer as a gift and prayer as a tool. I grew up thinking about prayer as a tool. That's the way I was taught about prayer, very much like Aaron described. A one way of praying, of asking in such a way. To assert as various New Testament writers do that God grants prayer as a gift is to acknowledge that all healing comes from God. Through prayer, individuals and faith communities approach God, seeking God's intervention, God's presence. And prayer does not, however, become a tool that we own. I don't walk around with a toolbox and prayer is in there and I pull prayer out as if it's the right tool and the right need. We're not manipulating God when we pray. But it is in prayer and in the seeking of the larger combined spiritual forces of a community of faith that God can unleash the power to heal and to bless. I mentioned Jesus, Jesus speaks about this himself. Here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place from you that where you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God, and you will begin to sense His grace. With a God like this loving you, you can pray very simply like this, and He offers us this prayer as a, as a model. Our Father in heaven, reveal who you are. Set the world right. Do what's best, as above, so below. Keep us alive with three square meals Keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others. Keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. You're in charge. You can do anything you want. You're ablaze in beauty. Yes. 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 Amen.